Support comes from Kenmore Air, offering escapes to the beautiful San Juan Islands this spring. Convenient daily 45-minute flights to San Juan Island, Orcas, and Lopez Islands from only $169 per person one way. Bookings available now at KenmoreAir.com. You're listening to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. Washington state Republicans hope you'll think about high gas prices when you vote this fall. A GOP-backed initiative to repeal the Climate Commitment Act, which charges companies for emitting carbon into the atmosphere, is likely headed to your ballot. Republicans argue it's a misguided policy that's been too painful for average Washingtonians filling their tanks. Democrats in Olympia are now racing to smooth out rough edges on Governor Inslee's signature environmental law, like those pesky high carbon auction prices. And they're making the case to save the law, which they argue is a necessary tool to help combat climate change. For his part, Governor Inslee says he's doing all he can to prevent a repeal. The vision of that Washington is so painful, and I am so committed to not allowing that vision to come to pass, that I'm going to do everything I can in the next 60 days to make sure that we have a brighter vision for everybody's grandkid and niece and everybody else. And this is something you're going to be hearing a lot about this election year. So we've lined up some conversations to give you some context before you get inundated with mailers and campaign ads. John Stang is a freelance reporter who's been following the state's cap-and-trade program for CrossCut and for the climate news website Net Zero Insider. He's pointed out that a key part of the Climate Commitment Act, the carbon auction, brought in more money than expected for the state of Washington, $1.8 billion in the first year. A big factor? The allowances companies have to buy for carbon in Washington ended up much more expensive than in California, where they've had a cap-and-invest program since 2012. Uh, That's because uh, Washington is trimming its carbon emissions at about twice the rate that California is. That led to a miscalculation on Washington's part because they're trying to pattern everything after California. But our carbon emissions reduction goals are far more aggressive than those in California. And just the ripple effect from there has led to higher auction prices, which has led to higher than expected prices at the pump. And that's why we have this disconnect, John, you report, between what Governor Inslee and Democrats who supported the Climate Commitment Act were promising, right? They famously said that this would only change gas prices pennies on a gallon versus what we actually saw at the pump. I mean, how directly can we connect these higher auction prices for companies to what people saw when they went to fill up the tank? The answer is very hazy and very complex. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of factors that go into um, how much we pay for the pump here in Washington state. And you have the same dozens to maybe 100 factors in other states. And all these factors are different from state to state, which makes it incredibly hard and almost impossible to reach a direct correlation between auction prices and prices at the pump. One example I can give you is that gasoline prices are much higher in California, 
Oregon, Washington, and Hawaii than they are, say, in the middle of oil country in Oklahoma and Texas. One reason is because real estate out here is much more expensive. So you have uh, the oil industry, interim wholesale tanks, and even the land that the gas stations are on, they're paying higher real estate prices than their counterparts in Texas or the Midwest or the Deep South. That gets factored into our high gas prices here. So we are talking about just a myriad of factors. There can be geopolitical events. There can be supply chain issues. And then, of course, as you mentioned, issues on the marketplace, issues with the price of real estate. But when we talk about this initiative that is likely headed to the ballot in November to repeal the Climate Commitment Act, there is going to be a direct argument from the backers of this initiative, mostly conservatives and and Republicans in the state legislature, who say high auction prices meant you paid more at the pump and we have to get rid of this law in order to make it easier on working families. From your reporting, is that a fair argument to make? Is that an accurate argument to make? It's an argument that ignores the complexity of the oil industry and how your crude oil makes it to the gas station. It's a very simple argument. It's a very understandable argument. It just ignores numerous other factors that go into um, how much we pay at the pump. So most likely, this is an issue the repeal of the Climate Commitment Act that will be facing voters in the fall. You know, the state's climate laws are, of course, going to be something that candidates in the 2024 elections bring up a lot. Gubernatorial candidate Dave Reichert tweeted that he would repeal cap and trade on day one, which is not something a Republican or any party governor would have the power to do on day one. What role do you expect this law and the issue of gas prices and the Climate Commitment Act to play in statewide politics this year? I think it'll be an issue that brings people to the ballot box. It'll be an issue that uh, both sides will try to get their own voters to vote. But I guess uh, off the top of my head, I would compare it to like having Trump on the uh, ballot this fall. Uh, A lot of Democrats will come out and vote against all the Republicans because of Trump on the ballot. And the Republicans will try to get spillover votes for their own candidates because they'll have cap and invest on the ballot. So with this galvanizing initiative, likely before voters in November, how are Democratic lawmakers in Olympia who support the state's climate laws, they don't want to see them repealed, responding to these attacks? What are they up to? The Democrat game plan is to highlight all the things that the revenue is accomplishing. Washington's a um, leader in dealing with uh, climate change among the 50 states. It's probably toss up between it and California on who's the uh, leading state in dealing with climate change. The auction revenue is paying for 
numerous climate change mitigation programs and climate change prevention programs. And these programs have an awful lot of ripple effects into um, Washington's economy. For example, Washington has the second largest wine industry in the nation. And the wine industry is being heavily hit by climate change. They're expecting to have to move their um, grape crops a little further north, you know, because grapes are a very finicky crop that are susceptible to increasing temperatures. Climate change is also bringing different types of bugs and insects that hurt the grape crops. They're bringing them into the state. They're doing similar things to the hops industry in the state. And uh, climate change leads to more acid rain in Puget Sound, which is affecting our shellfish industry in the state. So I believe the Democrats will probably be the money that's uh, raised from the auctions. They will be pushing the benefits that money will do to uh, deal with all these climate change problems that are affecting the livelihood of lots of Washingtonians. And this is a huge amount of money, John. So far, it's at $1.8 billion in its first year and expected $941 million in the first six months of 2024, you report. I mean, it's just a monumental amount of money. And so making the argument of where those dollars are going to benefit Washington's environment and the people of Washington and its industry is uh, something that the Democrats are hoping will land. The other thing that you've reported on is how much lawmakers in Olympia are working to try to kind of smooth out the edges on the Climate Commitment Act, its auctions and the way these things work in order to try to really diffuse the issue of the initiative on the ballot in November. You know, one of the things that they're looking at is increasing regulation on the oil and gas industry, right? Tell me about that bill and the suggestion that, you know, greater price transparency will be a solution to what's happening at the pump. We are about one year behind California on this. California just started a similar program and uh, the Democratic controlled legislature, I am very sure, will pass a similar program that'll probably go into effect uh, this coming summer. Just I just count votes and it'll happen. This is prompted by distrust of the oil industry. They want to monitor the hell out of it. The bill that creates this new uh, agency, there's a staff memo accompanying the bill and five pages, five whole pages of that staff memo does nothing but list the types of information that um, Washington wants the oil company to uh, produce on a regular basis. And the same bill gives the state subpoena power to obtain this information. But this is a monstrously huge task that the state wants to tackle, and it will be tackling it from scratch. And like you said, they're following in California's footsteps. Democrats uh, control the legislature there as well where, you know, there would be this new office to require all this information about pricing, profit margins, et cetera, 
out of these companies. So, you know, branch one of the way the Democrats in Olympia are responding to the effort to repeal the Climate Commitment Act is this really huge expansion of oversight of oil and gas companies to try to shed light on why prices at the pump have increased. Another branch, though, has to do with these very expensive allowances that came out of the auctions. As you said, the ambition for the Washington cap-and-trade law was a much faster ramp-up of carbon limitations than we saw in California and in Quebec, the other place with a big auction. Now, what is on the table to potentially address that, make the allowances a little bit cheaper for companies, and maybe prevent some of that cost from rolling down to consumers? Okay, there is another bill in Olympia that's addressing this as we speak. I have a feeling it will also pass just mainly because the Democrats have the majority in both chambers. And that's to create a common carbon market with California and Quebec. The uh, theory is that if you have two states and one province sharing the same carbon market, the economic ripple effects will be um, driving down the the auction prices of the uh, carbon allowances. And it'll also make them more predictable, right? A bigger market yeah, is just yes, more predictable. It's more predictable. John, we have this situation that is taking shape for 2024, where conservatives have pushed for this initiative to repeal uh, the Climate Commitment Act, a piece of legislation that they blame for higher gas prices and something that they believe will be able to energize voters, especially independents, um, to come out to the polls and you know vote against what is Jay Inslee's really signature piece of his legacy as an environmental, environmentally focused governor. Now you have Democrats in Olympia racing to try to smooth things over to improve the markets by expanding them uh, to connect with Quebec and California, to improve transparency by opening a new office to look into why gas prices are high in Washington state. What do you think is going to happen here? I mean, Republicans want to sweep the deck clear, get rid of this legislation. Democrats want to improve it and prove to voters that they don't need to start from scratch. How do you see this playing out in 2024 as this all unfolds? I think it'll be a major issue in the November elections. I am not smart enough to know which side will win. Washington is a Democrat-leaning state, and essentially it's going to depend on which side has a more effective message. The Republicans have a very strong and simple argument that uh, this the price of the pump is going up because of this complicated program. The Democrats' argument will be, one, uh, there are hundreds of factors that go into uh, gasoline prices, and therefore the Republicans are oversimplifying things. And plus, the um, program is bringing lots of health and environmental benefits and economic benefits to the state of Washington. And it'll probably just depend on 
whose message resonates more with uh, swing voters. That was John Stang, a freelance reporter who has been following the state's cap-and-trade program for CrossCut and for the climate news website Net Zero Insider. There's no shortage of opinions when it comes to this Climate Commitment Act and its future. When we return on Soundside, we'll hear from the ranking Republican member of the House Committee on Energy and the Environment about why she thinks the cap-and-trade system should go. We'll talk uh, more right when we return on KUOW. Welcome back to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. We're talking about the future of Washington's Climate Commitment Act and the effect putting a price on carbon emissions has had on gas prices in the state. Democratic lawmakers are attempting to shore up Washington's carbon pricing system ahead of a likely Republican initiative campaign to repeal it altogether. As we heard from reporter John Stang, it's shaping up to be a major political issue this November. Critics of the Climate Commitment Act are pushing hard to land their arguments with voters. To hear more, we reached out to State Representative Mary Dye. She represents Washington's 9th Legislative District in eastern Washington, and she's the ranking member on the state's House Environment and Energy Committee. Thank you very much for being here, Representative Dye. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Can you tell me, what are Republicans doing right now in the legislature when it comes to gas prices and the climate commitment package of legislation? What's going on 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 your side of the aisle? Well, on our side of the aisle, we are seeing the impact that it is having on our constituents in eastern Washington across the state. It's impacting our family budgets in a severe way, and it was anticipated that it would do so when the bill was being proposed and in testimony and on the floor of the House. We stated emphatically that this will raise the cost of fuels by 50 cents, and in fact, it did. It virtually doubled the gas tax for no roads. And we've been strongly um, adamant that this would impact people's budgets on their utility bills, that it would raise food prices, that it would raise the cost of home heating. And indeed, it has. It's hurt every single family and every single family's budget in the state of Washington. And it's really an unfairness to Washington state in many ways because our energy grid is largely hydroelectric power with a large nuclear reactor, very little of our electricity is produced through hydrocarbons. So, you know, when you look at an energy economy and you look at what energy does for the well-being and the prosperity of the people in Washington state, you are undermining the ability of the average family to do well and to prosper and raise a family here successfully. And this is a significant change in public policy when you put a cost on the most fundamental piece of the economy, and that's energy. So um, we are struggling to make the policy fair or hopefully relieve the citizens of Washington state from this onerous policy. And when you say relieve the citizens of Washington, that would be repealing the Climate Commitment Act, which is, you know, working its way through the legislature as an initiative, but likely to go to the ballot. Is it fair to say you support that initiative if it does end up on the ballot? It would be a huge help to just rethink this policy altogether. Basically, what the policy did was that it put a cost on an environmental externality. This has been discussed in environmental circles for decades to try and figure out a way to make citizens pay for the cost of environmental harms of our um, advanced economy. And that piece of it is simply a way to capture revenues to build a larger government 
infrastructure to do things that the party in, in power would be able to use that revenue for. And to date, it's a high focus on air quality. Washington State has not had a non-attainment day except for the days when we had um, Canadian forest fires. So those those air quality questions are not an issue in Washington State, but we have a pollution crisis in our state. We have a crisis in our forest health. We have a water quality crisis where the Puget Sound, 20, uh, 50% of the Washington State's freshwater, 20% of the marine water is polluted and listed as violating the Federal Clean Water Act standards for at least one pollutant. And, you know, the Puget Sound, uh, we just saw a recent article in the Seattle Times where they, the headline was the Puget Sound salmon are on drugs, and they listed Prozac, Adril, Advil, Benadryl, Lipitor, and even cocaine. And so these are issues that we need to focus and have a commitment to do some significant investments in the wastewater treatment infrastructure in the Puget Sound, and we've never had the political will to invest in adequate infrastructure for a growing population in the Puget Sound. And it's growing because there's prosperity in Puget Sound region. We have an amazing economy in the Puget Sound and people go there to prosper their families. And yet we can't invest adequately to protect the Puget Sound water quality. That's a crisis. We talk about recycling, we have a litter crisis. We talk about wildlife and biodiversity. We have grown our um, endangered species list 30% from 2005 to 2015. And Representative, I, I recognize all of those elements of the environmental crises that you're highlighting. Just to focus on the Climate Commitment Act specifically, do you believe that the production of carbon is a threat to Washington residents and people overall? I mean, it sounds like the issues that you're raising of water quality and air quality are certainly important of the salmon health. Do you think that carbon production and the climate change that's associated with it are part of an overall set of goals that the state government should have in order to alleviate? Or is that something that you feel like the priority is out of whack in Olympia? Let me be extraordinarily clear on this. Every policy that this bill has created through the Climate Commitment Act has exported our environmental footprint to the poorest nations in the world. In order to electrify the entire economy of Washington state, we have to go to the Congo where children are mining cobalt for the batteries. We have to have that manufactured and those mines are owned by the Chinese Communist Party in a deal with the Congo so that they build roads and infrastructure for the Congo East. But meanwhile, they use their children as slave labor in the mines to support the minerals necessary to build the batteries for our EVs and our electrification. We move that into their manufacturing. They've been building coal plants to power all of the manufacturing in China. They're using the Uyghurs, people who are in concentration camps, to manufacture the solar panels. They own all of the minerals that create the magnets for our uh, windmills. And we are transporting a huge environmental footprint on people who are the poorest people in the world and an authoritarian government in China that has no human rights controls whatsoever and no environmental controls to, to export 
those renewable energy resources to a state that is largely clean. It makes utterly no sense to do this to the people of the world. If we're talking about global air quality, then we should think about the project as a global project and not lay this on the the cleanest energy grid and the most productive and environmentally conscientious people in the world, and that's our citizens of Washington State. Representative, you co-sponsored the carbon auction rebate bill, which would distribute $1.3 billion from Washington's carbon auction profits to uh, registered car owners. According to a press release about that bill, this would mean every car owner would receive about $180 in a check. Why did you support that bill? Why did you co-sponsor that bill? The reason why I supported that bill is because The original bill said it was only going to need a certain amount of revenue in order to do the work of the policy. Those were the budgeted amounts in the fiscal note, and it ended up being three times that, nearly four times that out of the economy of the state, and it's really crippling the economy of the state. And I support the idea that we're fair and honest when we produce public policy when we say it's going to cost around $400 million and then it turns around to be $1.8 billion, that's, that's really something that we should be cognizant of. The impact to individual families was real and significant. It also puts our state at a significant competitive disadvantage when people know that the cost of living here is way too high and makes everything unaffordable, housing, food, and it limits the ability for us to create jobs as well. And so I support getting that money back into the economy where it belongs and where people can live decent and and productive lives. State Representative Mary Dye, ranking member on the House Environment and Energy Committee. Thank you very much, Representative, for your time and your perspective. I know that this is going to be an ongoing issue. I hope we can keep the conversation going. Thank you so much. As you've heard, opponents of the state's Climate Commitment Act are honing their arguments, and most experts agree we do need to cut greenhouse gas emissions. And putting a price on carbon is a popular tool with environmental advocates. But building a policy that achieves carbon reduction without hurting working people, that's a tall order. Yoram Bauman has been working on the challenge for years. In 2016, he spearheaded a failed initiative that would have added revenue-neutral carbon tax, a revenue-neutral carbon tax, to the state. Yoram is an environmental economist who has worked on state-level carbon pricing issues across the country and the world. And he says that cap-and-trade, those systems, create economic incentives for companies and people to not pollute. But the cost is inevitably paid by consumers of gas, airplane tickets and other carbon emitting activities. I like to describe it as an oddly shaped kind of carbon tax. So it's a way of putting a price on carbon to provide financial incentives so that everybody, individuals, households, businesses, utilities, has an incentive to reduce carbon emissions, help address climate change. So you can kind of get to that end route of putting a price on carbon, providing this financial incentive, sort of the direct way with a carbon tax, or you can sort of take the back alley route kind of and use a cap and trade system. So there are various complications involving auctions and permits and things like that, but you end up at the same place as you would get to with a carbon tax. You talk about incentives. We just got off the phone with State Representative Mary Dye, who is a Republican ranking member on the House Environment and Energy Committee in Washington state. And her perspective is that industry and the oil and gas industry has done a great job in adopting new technologies and really becoming greener on its own. 
Do you think that industry alone, without these types of incentives of a, a cap and trade system or a similar mechanism, can achieve carbon reduction that you know we're, we're stating as goals? I think the opportunities there are probably limited uh, for two reasons. One is that industry is profit maximizing, right? That's that's what capitalism is kind of all about. And so to the extent that profit maximization overlaps with carbon reductions, things like reducing waste, for example, making processes more efficient, then sure, you could have overlap there. But because of market failures, because there's there's no price for carbon emissions except through government regulation, through things like carbon taxes or cap and trade systems, there's going to be a limit to how much industry can do on its own if the profit motive is driving it in a different direction. The other concern I would say is, especially in a state like Washington state, lots of carbon emissions are associated with consumer activity, not with business activity. Hmm. So $1.8 billion, almost $2 billion that we mentioned, that was a lot more money than the state was anticipating bringing in with these carbon auctions. Talk to me about how prices are set for emissions. Well, in this case, you can kind of think about it like the Super Bowl, right? Let's say you've got a thousand, you're running the Super Bowl, you've got a thousand seats. You could either do some market analysis and say, okay, we can sell these seats at $2,000 a piece. Or you could say, well, we're just going to auction off these seats and to the highest bidders. And I think what ended up happening with the cap and trade system, which is more like that auction approach, is that there was a lot more demand for those emissions than some folks anticipated, right? Meaning that it is harder to reduce carbon emissions than people thought, right? Like the reason why we have carbon emissions is that people uh, get value from driving cars and flying on airplanes and trucks and uh, natural gas use and all the rest of it. And if you're going to put a cap on those emissions and then lower the cap over time so that there's less and less carbon emissions coming from activities in the state, then you're going to get everybody who wants to you know, burn fossil fuels is going to be competing against each other for those limited permits. And that's going to drive the price up. One of the core complaints lobbied by Republicans, including Representative Dai, who we just spoke with, is that the Climate Commitment Act and its associated carbon auction, those prices have rolled down to consumers at the pump. And Democrats, of course, are saying that some of these price increases are profiteering from oil companies. They're coming from different sources, including real estate prices, including, you know, things in the supply chain and the marketplace for oil. I mean, who is right here? How closely do carbon auction prices track with the price at the pump? Uh, hold on to your hat here. Maybe your listeners should, because the Republicans are right about this. Whoa. You know, to, to a first <laughs> approximation. Putting a price on carbon is going to raise the price of carbon. Anyone who tells you otherwise is either a liar or an idiot, right? You can't put a price on carbon without consumers, along with everybody else, feeling that incentive effect that says, hey, you need to think about ways that you could potentially reduce your consumption of fossil fuels. So to a first approximation, prices are going up because that's the way that carbon pricing works. So is there any way for pricing structure for carbon to be built that doesn't mean 
it rolls down to consumers. I mean, Democrats are trying to start this in Olympia are trying to uh, launch this new agency or office of within an agency that would be closely observing the pricing from oil companies and kind of putting them under the microscope for how they're putting those prices to consumers. I mean, is there any way to structure this when you're talking about reducing overall carbon production that doesn't mean I pay more to fill up my tank? Look, the oil companies are profit maximizing businesses. So if they could have raised prices for consumers two years ago or five years ago, they would have done it, right? So they're making choices. They're making pricing decisions in a way that is maximizing profits for them. What you see with the Climate Commitment Act and I think this is clear if you compare, for example, prices in Washington, which has the Climate Commitment Act with prices in Oregon, which doesn't, uh, you see a clear jump in prices when the Climate Commitment Act went into effect in January of 2023. And that's exactly in line with you know what uh, what economists predict would happen, basically because you're adding an extra tax on this activity. Now, your question is what we could possibly do about it. And there is a good answer here. The answer here is that you have that $1.8 billion in revenue and you can use that revenue to do things. You know, the Climate Commitment Act tries to make these investments that provide benefits. Yeah. Transit, climate resiliency, things like that. Right. Uh, I worked on a campaign a, a number of years ago where we took the revenue from a carbon tax and used it to cut the state sales tax so that you're paying more for fossil fuels, but you're paying less for other things. But avoiding the price impact, there's no magic bullet to do that. Yeah, that 2016 initiative failed. Uh, something that, you know, I'm interested to hear your perspective on. You know, how does the carbon auction system that has been instituted in the state right now compare with your proposal for a revenue neutral uh, carbon pricing system, a carbon tax? I think, again, on a policy level, you know, they're both ways to put a price on carbon. I, I guess I would say that that our policy tried to be uh, transparent about things and open and say, yeah, fossil fuels are going to cost a little more. Gasoline is going to cost a little more, but we're going to offset it by cutting sales taxes, funding an earned income tax credit, things like that on the other side. Uh, my concern about the Climate Commitment Act, you know, is that Governor Inslee said it was going to raise gas prices only by pennies. And that's turned out to be wrong. Yeah. Democrats right now are looking at all these ways to try to improve that. I mean, like I said, the office within an agency to look more closely at pricing with oil companies. They're looking at expanding the marketplace, adding Quebec and California and pooling these all and making prices for these uh, allocations uh, more steady, potentially dropping the prices. They're even looking at adjusting their ambitions for how fast you can reduce carbon in order to keep the prices of the allocations on the auction lower. I mean, what do you make of all these efforts? And do you think that there's a way to smooth this out, make it less painful for consumers? Well, the first thing to remember is that a few years ago, there was a popular song called Nothing Ever Hurt Like You. And the uh, the key part of the lyrics were that you don't get to taste the honey without the sting of the bee. If you don't have that financial incentive to encourage everybody to reduce carbon emissions, it's going to be hard to use economic incentives to reduce carbon emissions, right? You don't get to taste the honey without the sting of the bee. Can you do things like joining with California and Quebec and things like that? Uh, yeah, to a limited extent, but you're not going to change that price incentive 
in a in a significant way if you don't you know seriously weaken the policy and the concern i guess i would put out there about joining with california and quebec you know california has what seven times more people than washington state does so to a reasonable extent california is going to end up being in the driver's seat when it comes to a, a joint program like that and it's going to be a little bit like uh you know getting on a, a trampoline with a, an nfl linebacker they might be very nice you might have a fine time but you're not going to be in charge anymore what you're saying is democrats in olympia wanted to reduce carbon and in order to do that raise the price of carbon but they really didn't want the average person to actually feel that price increase. And that was unrealistic. That's correct. So science is united in understanding that we do need to reduce carbon emissions in order to prevent the most catastrophic impacts of climate change from hitting every part of the globe, I mean, including Washington residents. You know, when it comes to what we see with the Climate Commitment Act and the carbon auctions, some of the promises that this would only affect gas prices, pennies on the gallon, things like that, that hasn't come through. But overall, the goals here are, you know, much broader. They're looking at long-term effects of what could be, you know, just really terrible impacts of climate change long-term. I mean, is there any doubt that we need some kind of, you know, impactful legislation in order to achieve climate goals in order to achieve carbon reduction goals? I mean, is the question here just whether this is the right path or is the question whether this needs to be messaged more appropriately so people's expectations are in line with the goals of the legislation? I think the reason why economists, you know, struggle with with climate policy so much is that you do have to kind of balance things, right? It's the whole thing about the end of the world versus you know, being able to pay the bills at the end of the month. So there are those challenges that we are going to have to face. I think what Washington State should be looking to do is looking to set an example for the nation and the world of how you can do climate policy in a way that's pocketbook friendly and that makes sense ideally for voters and politicians and regular people across the political spectrum. Anything else that you want to add? I mean, you've looked at cap and trade systems like this all over the world. Was the result in Washington unexpected? I mean, are there any ways that you see to work out some of the kinks here and preserve a system without individuals maybe feeling quite so much pain? Well, I think it's possible that you can do things like release valves so that you issue more permits uh, that can reduce some of the price pressures from a cap and trade system. But I think the fundamental need is is for honesty, right? To be honest with voters and honest with ourselves that cutting carbon emissions is going to be hard. It's going to be a struggle. And we're just going to have to temper some of what I think are very well-meaning desires to hit incredibly stringent climate targets. Yoram Bauman is an environmental economist. He also ran a initiative campaign in 2016 in Washington to institute a carbon tax. And uh, I really appreciate your perspective, Yoram. Thank you for joining us and for the discussion. Happy to be here.
Thanks for listening to SoundSide. This show is only possible because listeners support us. If you're able to give right now, please check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m., Monday through Thursday, or anytime online at KUOW.org. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.